great sermon that was. And he said, but I've since grown a little bit. He said, it really doesn't matter. He said, I would much rather people leave uh, a service at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London and say, what a great Savior we have. And, uh, and really, it, it truly is all about Jesus, isn't it? And so uh, we hope that uh, today's service will be uh, to that end, to exalt the Savior and uh, to edify the saints. And then if uh, there's one here who doesn't know the Lord, then obviously we want you to walk out of here a saint today. <laughs> and uh, that, that would be a, a wonderful service indeed. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in Proverbs chapter 17, just one verse there. Proverbs chapter number 17, and we'll read just verse number 22. Proverbs 17 and verse 22. In fact, if you'll read it out loud together with me. Ready? Begin. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Let's read it one more time, shall we? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And now Matthew chapter 9, if you have a Bible, if you flip over there, Matthew chapter 9, and I'll read a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 9, beginning verse number 1, the Bible says, And he, talking about Jesus, entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, notice what he said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Several times Jesus uses that phrase, be of good cheer. And that's the title of the message this morning, simply that, be of good cheer. Let's all pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments. Bless our time together. And uh, I know that uh, folks come here from all different walks of life. And, and uh, in the last seven days since we assembled, uh, this crowd has assembled. I pray that you'd help us to meet the needs that have arisen in their lives over the last several days. I pray that you'd speak to my heart. I pray that uh, your spirit would, uh, would captivate my attention. And, Father, that all of us would be attentive to the leadings of the spirit in our own lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The word cheerful means to be of a well mind. In the verse we read in Proverbs, talks about cheerfulness, talks about uh, being of good cheer, and so on. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the Bible says. On three different occasions in the New Testament, our Lord tells someone or a group of folks to, quote, unquote, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Uh, cheer up, if you will. Uh, you know, we live in a discouraged world, don't we? We live in a discouraged world. If you turn on the television, there's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, news. And, and uh, rarely is the news that you see on television or in the newspaper or on the Internet or whatever other news outlet or whatever source you get your news, rarely is news what you would call good news. Uh, many times it's discouraging news. Many times it's depressing news. Many times it's news that you'd just soon not hear. <laughs> and, uh, and we have to be careful, by the way, about our intake of all of that and how it affects our spirit and our minds and so forth. But we live in a discouraged world, and, and folks who do not enjoy life do not have a well mind. 
uh, a person who is not cheerful, uh, it's, it's difficult for them to have that well mind. Can I tell you something? God wants you to be of good cheer this morning. Uh, may I remind all of us of something? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you're saved. If you're saved. A few days ago, I had the opportunity to, to uh, lead a, uh, someone to Christ, and I reminded that lady before we left the door, I said, now look, you understand something? In just a few moments ago, when you received Christ as your Savior, your name was written in a book in heaven called the Book of Life, not the Book of Death, the Book of Life. And your name will never be removed from that book because you're, you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You're, you're saved once and for all. You're saved forever. And may I remind all of us in the church house this morning, those of us who are saved, our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hey, you've got reason to smile this morning. You've got reason to be of good cheer this morning. I believe I mentioned this in Sunday school, but Jesus was meeting with his disciples, and they came to him, and boy, they were all exuberant. They were fired up. They were happy, and they were rejoicing, and, and, uh, and they were rejoicing because the Lord had allowed them to cast demons out of somebody. And, uh, and Jesus, maybe he didn't look like he was really impressed with that because his response to the disciples was, rejoice not that the demons are subject to you. Or that the devils are subject to you. He said, rather, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Something that will never change. Boy, that's something that ought to make all of us happy this morning. Something that ought to help us to be of good cheer this morning. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the Bible says. That word merry in the Old Testament is akin to the word cheerful that we find in the New Testament. Jesus used it several times. Paul spoke it several times. And this morning, I want to preach to you for just a few moments on this matter of the importance of you and I, quote-unquote, being of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Someone said that Christians are the only people who know where they came from, know why they're here, and know where they're going. And that's true. Hey, we know where we came from. We didn't come from some evolutionary process. We didn't come from some monkey somewhere. <laughs> and uh, 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 my dad, he used to say it all the time. He said, now, we have ancestors, son. Some of them swung by their neck, but none of them swung by their tail. Uh, <coughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, but, but man is all warped about this whole matter of evolution. God's people, we know where we came from. In the beginning, God. God formed man in the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, Genesis chapter 1. We know where we came from. Hey, not only that, we know why we're here. We know that God has given us a purpose in this life. God has put us here for a reason. God has put us here not just as an, uh-oh, we're not an accident. No, we're not just some kind of anomaly that, uh, that just showed up on planet Earth at this particular moment in history. No, sir, we understand that God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and we know where we're going because Jesus saved us. Because we received Christ as our Savior, we know where we came from, we know why we're here, and we know where we're going, so why shouldn't we be happy? Why shouldn't we be of good cheer? Oh, you can, we can sit around, we can talk about all the circumstances that are unique to your life and to my life. We can talk about the weather, that you, you, you may or may not like it, but hey, this is Michigan. If you don't like the weather, you stick around. It'll change in just a few minutes. It won't take long. And, uh, but, 
the, but the, the, the reality is we should be of good cheer. And we can talk about all the negatives. We can talk about and bemoan all of the, the things about the world that we don't like and that we would change if we could. But the reality is we know where we came from. We know why we're here. And we know where we're going. So we ought to be of good cheer. We ought to be of good cheer. I want our church to be a cheerful place. I want it to be a cheerful place. Some folks have the idea that church ought to be starchy and dead and dry and formal. You know, I feel sorry for those folks. Somebody, my, uh, my brother-in-law, <coughs> sister-in-law came to visit us a couple of years ago now. I guess it's been almost two years ago now. And, and uh, on a Sunday night after church, we went out to eat. And uh, we, uh, his family and our family sat down <laughs> together. And he said, he said, man, you've got the longest handshaking time of any church I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> I said, well, it, it, it presents many opportunities for gossip and for all the good things that all of us enjoy. But, and, uh, but you know what? Church ought to be a happy place. It ought to be a joyful place. It ought to be a cheerful place. You know, folks have been conditioned in 2019 to think that church should be a ritualistic religious exercise. Now, the Bible does say let all things be done decently and in order. The Bible does say that it uh, uh, gives, some, gives some parameters about how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. Church ought not be a rock concert. Church ought not be some, something that resembles a honky-tonk or a bar somewhere. It ought to look like church. But you know what? That being said, church ought to be a cheerful place as well. When you walk in the doors of the Lake Crest Baptist Church, boy, there ought to be a smile on our face. And let me just say this, we ought to seek a blessing when we come to church, but we also ought to seek to be a blessing when we come to church. Don't just come to church and sit there and take up 18 inches of pew like a knot on a log and say, well, Brett, bless me if you can. Bless me if you can. No, our attitude ought to be, hey, I'm here, and not only am I seeking a blessing from the Word of God, not only am I seeking a blessing from being in Sunday school, not only am I seeking a blessing from uh, singing the songs of Zion and listening to the choir sing, but, hey, I'm looking to be a blessing. I'm looking to be an encouragement to somebody. I'm looking to shake somebody's hand and make their day just a little bit brighter, just a little bit better. You know, that's all our responsibility. That's all our responsibility. Uh, that some people have been taught that God dwells in a building. That's not true. God's presence does not dwell in this auditorium. Now, his spirit is here right now. You know why? Because me and you are here. That's why. That's why many times throughout the week I'll, I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, we've got to have your spirit in the services uh, on Sunday. We've got to have your spirit moving from pew to pew and from person to person. And, and uh, there's been times where I've gone to each and every pew and knelt there and, and think about the people who sit in those pews and ask the Lord to work in the hearts of the people who will sit in that pew on that coming Lord's Day. But other than that, listen to me, God's presence does not dwell in a building. God's presence dwells with, uh, with his children. He dwells by his spirit in the hearts of believers. But I'm simply saying church is not a building. The church is anywhere God's people gather. It could be a wonderful, beautiful edifice, and thank God for the facilities that he's given us here, and they're beautiful, and we ought to be good stewards of it and take care of them. But understand, if we met in a field somewhere, that's church. That's church. And boy, we ought to be a rejoicing people. There ought to be a happiness, and there ought to be a spring in our step and a smile on our face. Why? Because we know the Lord. We're saved. As you look in the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, you'll find that God's people have always been a happy 
cheerful group. Look it up sometime. Hey, read about uh, God's children of Israel in the wilderness. God's chosen people in the Old Testament, the, 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 the nation of Israel. And uh, read the book of Psalms sometime. That's a songbook for God's people. And they sang those songs. And they, there was a tune to them. I don't know. We don't know what the tune was, <coughs> but, uh, but they sang them. And many of them are songs of praise and songs of adoration and psalms of worship and psalms of, of, uh, of, of praise to the Lord. God's people have always been a singing people, a cheerful people. Now, rejoicing, cheerful, merry. Psalm 9 and verse number 11 says this, Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. I will sing a new song unto thee, the psalmist said. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. You may have noticed that the songs we sing here in church are happy songs. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power, hey, church ought not be a dirge. It ought not be uh, like a funeral parlor. No, sir, there, there, there's life here because the Holy Spirit of God is working here. Smile a while. It's okay. It's all right. Some of you, <laughs> you know, we, we, we all bring burdens into a service. You know what we all ought to do? Leave the burden at the door. Leave it there. Hey, leave it there so that we can come and be a blessing and put a smile on your face and have a spring in your step and say, hey, God's good. And by the way, God is good. He is good. Very heart doeth good like a medicine. That helps us. It gives us the, the, the music here. It gives us a merry heart. God's people are a rejoicing people. A rejoicing people. We talked about a little bit in Sunday school. The theme of the entire book of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But we ought to be a rejoicing people. Rejoicing is a command. Rejoicing is a choice. It's a choice. Now, you can choose to rejoice or you can choose not to rejoice. But if you choose not to rejoice, can I, can I help you with something? Um, that's a violation of Scripture. Anybody here this morning? Hello out there. Anybody here? Here. <laughs> Sounds like a boy's crying in the wilderness right now. Now, to rejoice is a choice, but it's also a command. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say, rejoice. Now, we look at other commands in the Bible and say, bless God, God said, thou shalt do thus and so, or thou shalt not do thus and so. And we're dogmatic about those commands. And we said, bless God, if you violate those commands, <coughs> you're in trouble with a, a holy, just, righteous God. Is, is Philippians 4, 4 not a command? Yeah, it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, is Sunday morning, July 14, 2019, is this part of always? I think so. You say, preacher, I don't much feel like rejoicing today. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> What's that got to do with it? If you only do that, which you, if you only do things you do based on how you feel, there's a lot of things you would leave undone. There's a lot of things we'd leave undone. But no, the command is rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in the circumstances. No, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the things that never changes. By the way, God never changes. His blessings to us, his faithful to us, to us never changes. We can rejoice about that. Our salvation will never change. I can rejoice about that. Why is it that we sometimes give the wrong impression to a world, by the way, a world that needs to see joy 
in the, in the lives of believers. A, a world that needs to see joy. I'm talking about neighbors and co-workers and people that you come into contact with every day. They need to see somebody who's on top side. Somebody who's rejoicing. You say, preacher, you just don't know my situation. <laughs> You're right. I may not. I may not. Uh, are you in prison like Paul? Were you beaten like Paul? Were you shipwrecked like Paul? Were you stoned and left for dead like the Apostle Paul? Because it was Paul that God used to pen the words, Rejoice the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. You know, and again, we're, we're kind of reiterating one of the truths in the Sunday school lesson this morning, but Paul learned a very important lesson, and that was simply this. I can do what I'm supposed to do even in the midst of hardship. I can rejoice even when the sun's not shining, even when I don't feel as good as I wish I did. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Do you have a merry heart this morning? What is it that's keeping you from being of good cheer? I want to turn your attention this morning to the three occasions where Jesus said, quote, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Now, if God says something one time, it's important. But Jesus three times in the New Testament said, be of good cheer. Let's look at those occasions, if you will, with me. The first time he said, be of good cheer, he said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 2, and behold, they brought to him a man of, uh, sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now wait a minute. Here's a man with an obvious physical ailment. The Bible says he was sick of the palsy a dreaded disease. He needed healing in the physical sense, but Jesus saw an even greater need. This man needed the cheer and comfort that could only come from the filling of a spiritual need. And so Jesus said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. What a great thought this morning. Hey, y'all, we ought to be of good cheer because our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. As long as you and me, you and I are on the hook, so to speak, for our sins, there won't be much rejoicing. Hey, can I, can I tell you something? There won't be any rejoicing in hell. Jesus plainly, by, by the way, Jesus spoke more about the subject of hell than he did about heaven. Now, heaven's a place of rejoicing. The Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one soul that, that, uh, that repents. Heaven's a happy place. Heaven's a rejoicing place. But I promise you this, you'll not find any rejoicing in hell. You'll not find any rejoicing there. No, you'll find weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You'll find people who are in agony, uh, the, the physical agony of the fires of hell, the physical agony that the, that the Bible outlines in, uh, in, on several occasions. There'll be the mental agony of knowing that they could have gotten saved, they should have gotten saved, and they rejected the Savior. Oh, there'll be no rejoicing in hell, my friend. None. Jesus said to this man who was brought to him, who was sick of the palsy, he said, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. As long as you and I are accountable or, or uh, on the hook, so to speak, in payment for our sins, there won't be any cheer. There won't be much comfort. You see, sin discourages. Sin defeats. Sin destroys. Sin demeans. And we live in a world that is lacking in cheer and rejoicing and comfort because we live in a world that is plagued by sin. 
By the way, could it be that some of us who struggle with rejoicing as God's people, maybe we that maybe that's where we ought to start as far as our spiritual barometer is concerned. Hey, if if I'm a child of God, yet I'm living in disobedience to the commands of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if I'm a child of God, and yet I'm not living according to the Scriptures, either by either it be by sins of commission or sins of omission, maybe that's robbing me of the joy that I ought to have. Because that's what sin does. Sin does. Oh, you know, I, I can't expect to live that happy, victorious Christian rejoicing kind of life if, if I'm living against the rules of that book. It won't happen. It won't happen. The greatest need anyone has is the need for sins to be forgiven. Sins to be forgiven. Oh, you may have some needs this morning. And here Jesus uh, encountered a man who was sick of the palsy. He could do nothing for himself. His physical condition was horrible. It was horrible. But yet Jesus saw a need that was greater than his physical need. And we look around our world today, and, and everybody's trying to, to fix all of the ills of our society. We think that if we throw money at things from the government, somehow we can fix some things uh, uh, that, that really is rooted in the heart of man. It doesn't work that way. So many problems of our society. In fact, every, every ill of the social uh, uh, side of our world is simply this. It boils down to a sin problem. Boils down to a sin problem. Jesus saw the greater need. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Because if you do, be of good cheer. Hey, there's a, there's a double-edged sword uh, or side to this truth. If you can say, preacher, I know my sins have been forgiven, okay, why are we not of good cheer? Why are we not rejoicing as him? And if you're here and you say, preacher, I don't know that my sins have been forgiven. Hey, I got good news for you. You can walk out those doors saying, my sins have been forgiven. You can be rejoicing about that. Jesus said, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven. I want you to see a second thing this morning, a second instance where Jesus said the words, be of good cheer. Uh, notice with me in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 in uh we're going to read just a couple of verses over there. Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages from where you are. Matthew 14, verse 24, the Bible says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Notice verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, There it is, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Jesus said, hey guys, it's okay. Now, put yourself in the place of the disciples. Sometimes we're a little hard on those boys. But the reality is, if we had been in their shoes, sandals, whatever ones they were wearing, if we had been in their place on that ship, and we're out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and we're, our, our ship is being tossed by the waves, and we're in the middle of a storm, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of commotion that is totally out of our control, we'd be scared too. We'd be petrified. We'd be trembling. But here, in verse 27, it says, Straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. 
Jesus came walking to them on the water. And their fears, they didn't know who it was. But Jesus said, hey, boys, it's okay. Be of good cheer. Look, the lesson is this. We can be of good cheer by realizing the presence of Jesus in our storm. By realizing the presence of Jesus in the storms of life. Understand, some of you find yourself in a storm this morning. Not a physical storm. I think about the folks down in in uh, Louisiana as they brace for the impact of that hurricane and and uh, that's a scary that's a scary time and uh, I remember as a kid on the mission field living on an island and and uh, and and uh, anticipating uh, oncoming storms like that and boy it, it's a it, it's a fearful thing boy we ought to pray for those folks to be sure but understand uh, some of you you're in the middle of a different kind of storm may I tell you something God saw that storm on your horizon you may not have seen it coming, but God saw it coming. Jesus, when he walked out onto the Sea of Galilee to meet these disciples in that ship, Jesus wasn't taken surprised by the storm. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't at all intimidated by it. Jesus was not at all uh, taken by surprise or taken back by it. He knew what was going on. He knew it was going to happen before it happened. And let me say, let me tell you this this morning. God knows what you're going through. God saw it coming. He's got it under control. Be of good cheer, he said. Uh, God even approved it coming into your life, but you didn't see it coming. You know, sometimes we forget about that. You read the story of Job in the Old Testament, and you see how Job went through all of these things. Now, we have the advantage of knowing that Satan and God had a conversation about Job's life and Job's character. We see that. Job didn't know that. We understand that Satan came into God's presence one day, and God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And Satan said, Yeah, I understand that, Lord, but you understand that Job only serves you because you've been so good to him. But if you allow some trials and some tribulations and some tough times into his life, God, I'll promise you, you'll see some things about, you'll see a side of Job that you don't know is there. <laughs> that's kind of dumb for Satan to say that, but that's what he, that's what he implied. He said, You let me afflict Job, and we'll see how good a man he really is. And so what happens in the subsequent passages of Job where all the affliction comes into his life, and we don't have time to, to outline all of that, but all of the bad things that happened to Job, we see that it was approved and passed God's desk. That's what happened. God knew it was coming. Job didn't see it coming. God saw it coming. Let me tell you something, whatever you may be going through right now or whatever you will be going through in the future, understand something, the good God of heaven knows you can handle it because he saw it coming. He saw it coming. And he says to all of us, whatever your situation may be this morning, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It's okay, Jesus said, I'm here. And what makes the storm bearable, what made the storm bearable for those disciples in Matthew chapter 14 was the fact that Jesus was there. He was there. When I was a kid in, in uh, junior church, they, uh, they taught us a little chorus. With Christ in the vessel, I can smile at the storm, smile at, how many of you know that song? You want to sing it with me? Of course you don't. But anyway, uh, <coughs> with, <laughs> with Christ in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. And that's a really good course when you're a kid in junior church. What about when you're an adult? What about when it becomes a little more personal? 
What about when the, your situation is a little more desperate as a grown adult facing some serious matters in your life than you had when you were seven years old in the Jesus service? May I say, the words are just as real, just as true. Because with Christ in the vessel, I can smile at someone. I can be of good cheer. And let me tell you something. If God says you can be of good cheer and I choose not to be of good cheer, uh, let's see, how does that, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm saying our rejoicing, our being of good cheer, if you will, has choice. Has choice. Let's go on. Last thing. Last thing. We said that, first of all, by knowing my sins are forgiven, I can be of good cheer. By realizing the presence of Jesus in the storm, I can be of good cheer. And finally this morning, by knowing that Jesus has overcome our greatest enemies, I can be of good cheer. I can be of good cheer. Take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 16. Very quickly, we're going to land this plane here really soon. John chapter 16. John chapter number 16. Another occasion where Jesus said the words, be of good cheer. Look at it with me, if you will. John chapter 16, verse number 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but... Here it is, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. By knowing that Jesus has overcome my greatest enemies, I can be of good cheer. Now, let me expound on this a little bit before we close this morning. I do not have anyone in this world that I would consider an enemy. Not one. Not a one. Now, I can't speak for anyone else. <laughs> They may consider me their enemy, but honest, God is my witness. There's not a person on the face of the planet that I would say that I would count and say that person is my enemy as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't know of one. Years ago, I wrote down a quote in the flyleaf of my Bible after hearing a message. I believe I was either a teenager or I was in college at the time. And the preacher preaching that day said this. He said, my struggle is not with people. My struggle is for people. And that's true. That's true. My struggle, he said, is not with people. He said, I don't, I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. He said, my struggle in life is for people. Now, you may count me an enemy, but I'm not bound to return those feelings. Now, stay with me. That being said, according to the scriptures, I, have, I do have three major spiritual enemies. My enemies are not flesh and blood. In fact, your enemies are not flesh and blood. Even if you think you have some flesh and blood enemies, God says you don't. You really don't. Understand something. The enemies that I have this morning that Jesus tells me I have are the world. He said in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're not, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So Jesus plainly tells me that the world, talking about the world culture, the world system, the world society, is, is the enemy of God, and they are our spiritual, the world, the culture of this world is our enemy. Again, we're not talking about people, because people are not the enemy. The culture is. The sin that has infiltrated and caused the world to be a filthy place, that's what makes it our enemy. Now, stay with me. Our flesh is our enemy. I'm talking about my own old man, my old 
sinful nature. The Bible tells me over the book of Galatians that the flesh warreth against the spirit and the spirit warreth against the flesh. My own sinful nature, my own fleshly desires, my own sinful desires, that is my enemy this morning. And then there's one more, Satan himself. Satan himself. The Bible says that the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So, I've got the world and the flesh and the devil. Those are my enemies this morning. Notice, no human being is my enemy. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are. Now, let me just tie this together and we'll be done. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Back in John chapter 16, he said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, be of good cheer. Notice what he says. I have overcome the world. He mentions there, he points out one of my enemies in the world, and he said, hey, don't worry about that. I've overcome the world. You don't have to be defeated by the world because I've overcome the world. Hey, I got good news for you. Not only has Jesus overcome the world, not only can I live victorious over the temptations of this world, this culture, hey, I can also live victorious over my other two enemies as well. My own fleshly desires, my own sinful old nature. Hey, I've got good news. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And you know what? I don't have to live according to my flesh. I can live according to the spirit who lives inside of me. And I can be of good cheer. I don't have to be a slave to that old man, that old nature. Hey, there's folks in this room, you're struggling in your, in your day-to-day life with some besetting sins. Hey, you don't have to do that. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hey, you don't have to, you can have, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about victory at any given moment over besetting sins in your life. You don't have to be a slave to alcohol. You don't have to be a slave to lust. You don't have to be a slave to pornography. You don't have to be a slave to, hey, it doesn't doesn't matter what the sin is. You don't have to be a slave to it. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the enemies that you have. The world, your own flesh, and oh, by the way, Satan himself, Satan himself. He said, greater is he that's in in him, uh, in us than he that's in the world. Our culture that is against God and all that is pure and righteous and holy has been defeated by our captains. That's a wonderful thing. Hey, not only that, Jesus has overcome every spiritual enemy that we have. You know what? I can be of good cheer. I can be of good cheer. Jesus said so. Three different occasions he said, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the enemy. Be of good cheer, hey, it's okay, it's it's all right. Uh, Be of good cheer because my presence is with you through the ups and the downs and difficulties and the storms of life. Why is it that God's people don't rejoice? I want you to make this truth very personal this morning. Because, let me just tell you, we all struggle. We all struggle. And if we're not careful, we'll let the outside circumstances of our lives, we'll let, we'll let whatever the current event of our life is determine our happiness, determine our joy, determine our merry heart, if you will, determine our whatever, cheerful spirit. Jesus said it doesn't need to be that way. He said, be of good cheer. I can be of good cheer because my sins are forgiven. I can be of good cheer because Jesus is with me in the ups and downs of life. I can be of good cheer because Jesus has defeated 
my three spiritual enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Very simple message this morning. How about you? How about all of us? Can we make it practical? Can we apply it to our hearts this morning? Can we be of good cheer? Sure we can.